So we've got this really antiquated system. If we think about how much the field of medicine has evolved in the last 300 or 400 years and how much the legal system has involved, evolved in that same time period, there's just no, I mean, it's just night and day, right, between the two systems. And so then we're looking to the court to come up with parenting plans when the legal system is just not the same societal development that we've seen fields. Yeah. So we have to have litigation. It has to be available for the cases that need it. But yeah, most of the time, our clients are very clear that it's good for the kids if they can get along. And if the kids can have memories around Halloween or year end celebrations or whatever it is that really um, are consistent with what people hope for when those babies are born. Mm. Yeah. Hi, I'm Rachel Green, Brooklyn-based divorce mediator and collaborative attorney, and this is my podcast, Keep the Kids in Mind. Join me as I chat with other industry professionals about everything from smoothly navigating your way through divorce to prenups, all the while keeping the kids in mind. Hello. Welcome to Keep the Kids in Mind. I'm Rachel Green, your host, and I'm very pleased today to have Joanna Roth, a mediator in in Seattle, right? Is that's where you are? Um, to talk with her about one of my favorite converse, um, conversation topics, which is mediation. Welcome, Joanna. Thanks for joining us. Pleased to be here. Thank you. So um, just to start, why don't you share with our audience how you came to do this work with families who are restructuring, um, moving to two households, um, and and uh, what, what drew you to this work? I had a divorce about the time that I finished law school, and it went very badly. I had a, a very small child. My daughter was a toddler at the time. And I could not figure out how to make it happen in a way that um, respected the, the dignity of our family. So I had a guided tour of a litigated divorce. We had motions. We had forensic personality analysis. We had oh, forensic man. investigation of parenting. We had a business valuation that was disputed. It, I was deposed. Um, oh my gosh, I had my so many complicated issues that can come up in a divorce. And there was a forensic evaluation, even though your daughter was so little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was a brand new lawyer. I'd heard about mediation in law school. I read up about mediation, but I couldn't find the kind of mediation locally that I was reading about in my book. So the mediation that I got was settlement conferences led by litigators, guided by litigators, and um, it resulted in agreements that weren't very stable, uh, that weren't very attuned to the developmental needs of my kid. When when you say you had settlement conferences, I actually never litigated. Um, and so I guess my understanding of that is, is that um, it's, it's kind of a it's it's almost like an abbreviated trial kind of thing where you would meet and the clerk would say or the judge would say, well, this is what I think you should do. Go in the room and talk about it. Um, but it wasn't like eliciting your thoughts, ideas, needs 
you know, interests, your view for parenting your child. It wasn't, it, I mean, am I correct? Is that what you mean by a settlement conference? Yes. So it was very much keyed to what a court would do based on what the court could observe. Um, and I, I think there's a place for that. So I, I don't mean any of my remarks to sound belittling of uh, litigation, but it didn't work for my daughter. It didn't work for me. I, I don't think it worked for my former spouse. My guess is that if, if we had him on camera and asked him, how did that go? He would not say it went well. You know, I have never heard of anybody come through the court process and say, that was great. That's, we got a really good result. I was very happy with the process. I felt heard. I felt like it was tailored to our family. It was fair. I Honestly, I've never heard anybody come out of the court process feeling that way, unfortunately. So at the end of all of that, I thought there's got to be a way that this can work better. And I was just starting my law practice at that point, And I took divorce cases. I took parenting cases. And um, what I had available to me at the time was litigation. So I became a family law litigator. And I thought, well, it's got to be better if I'm the one in the business suit and pumps, right? Right. And it's been through it. And you at least had some ideas about how it should have gone. Yeah. And it turned out it was terrible as a litigator for me as well. I, I did not like the work. Um, I had been the one standing next to my attorney when opposing counsel told the court that my only interest in parenting was receiving child support. And suddenly I was the one standing next to my client saying similar things. I don't yeah. think I ever said that particular thing, but I, I'm not proud of what I did as a litigator. So fortunately, about that time, I came across collaborative law. And so that was really my entry point into doing divorce work in a way that matched better what I had hoped to do early on in my own divorce. Um, so just for our audience members who are not familiar with these different processes, um, in collaborative law, um, the the Spouses still have, or the parents still have their own attorneys, but we focus on their underlying needs and interests rather than legal arguments and positions. And we have meetings with the clients present and the attorneys present. And sometimes there can also be a family specialist, a psychologist who can help us advise on helping the children and understanding their developmental um, phases and their their experience of the divorce. Um, and they can also be a financial neutral if there are complex financial issues like a business valuation, which you said was in your divorce. Um, and But it would be one financial neutral instead of a battle of the experts. Um, and, and, and if the case are, is to break is not successful and breaks down, the attorneys have to withdraw. So it gets rid of the conflict of interest between the clients and the attorneys because the attorneys can make so much money in litigation um, that in the back of their mind, I have certainly heard stories about attorneys who are not focusing on what their clients want, but instead 
more aware of how much money they'll make if it goes to a trial. Um, so if the attorneys have to withdraw, they don't have that conflict. Um, is that kind of your <laughs> consistent with your understanding and your experience of collaborative process as well? Yeah, I think there there might be slight regional differences. Mm -hmm. So typically, locally, we have the two attorneys, we have a coach for mm -hmm. the couple, and frankly, for the, the team, we have a financial specialist, uh, where particularly if there's a young kid, we'll typically have a child specialist. So I think we break that family specialist role into two pieces, but it's, it's a very familiar process from your description. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've, we, the New York Collaborative Law, the New York Association of Collaborative Professionals, um, we've done, had, you know, both the two coach model and a family specialist, or we've had like one coach who, and family specialist in one person, but we've done both of those. So, yeah. And so the collaborative divorce was um, more consistent with what you were hoping to try to find a better way to help families in transition. Yeah. I think if I hadn't found collaborative law, we wouldn't be talking today because I would be teaching English as a second language at my local community college. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I would have stuck around in the wouldn't field. In the law. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I practiced in collaborative law principally for several years. I gradually gave up litigation altogether. I haven't litigated in probably over a, a dozen years at this point. Um, and what I really, what's that? Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm very glad I was able to, to make that transition. Um, and what I've really appreciated about the collaborative community is the interdisciplinary approach to divorce work and the ability to um, benefit from the expertise of financial colleagues and uh, colleagues with a deep understanding of child development and, and kind of development over the lifespan as we work with different couples at different stages of life. And um, just the, the curiosity of the collaborative community that there is a great big world out there. There's only so much that we can know about. But if I know about this and you know about that, we can put our heads together and hopefully come up with a process that is as functional as possible for the clients and also efficient, right? So potentially a lot of professionals in the room. So we want to be able to coordinate in a really efficient way. Right, right. That's true. Because people... Um often are have you know trepidation about the cost when all those professionals are there but if the case is 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 run well which is of course always our goal um you know where we're having the professionals each in their own lanes and using them as needed um and it's more i mean i know a lot about child development and divorce and i'm sure you do as well but not as much as someone who's formally trained in psychology, a, you know, a child psychologist. Um, so it's more efficient to have them work on a parenting plan than, you know, than you, you or I, you or me. <laughs> um, no, it would be you or I. Anyway. <laughs> um, and, and you also mediate 
<clears throat> so at this point, I work about 99% of the time as a mediator. So when we think about the specialization and generalization, I've, I've ended up being much more of a generalist. So um, I'll usually work directly with the separating couple and they'll consult with their attorneys. Uh, but most of the time, it's just me and the couple in the room. And I, I might say, well, here's some things you might want to run by your attorney. And I'll send out notes and I'll, I might send that to the attorneys, but I might not, depending on how tightly I'm coordinating with the other professionals on the case. So it, it's quite possible they would get notes. They would say, go to their attorney and say, here are the things I'm supposed to talk about with you. And then they'll just come back. Uh, but it really depends on on the needs of the family. And I think this relates back to something you were saying earlier, like what is the most efficient way to come up with a parenting plan? If the parents have about the same idea of how the kids are doing and their experience is the kids are fine and here's the schedule that's working for us, that's fine. I don't feel that I need to send them off to a child specialist or a child consultant. I really rely on their own sense of this is working well enough for us and I'm I'm willing to write that up into a parenting plan. There are some things that I feel I do need to cover with them because parenting does evolve. Um, I I agree, you know, 100% because parents who are not separating uh don't have to bring experts into their home, you know, unless there's a problem or unless they are having a conflict about something. Um, but if they're on the same page, and, and I find that the majority of people who come to mediation, not all, but the majority are not, you know, are not having conflicts about parenting. And in fact, that's one of the issues on which they're really still quite aligned. And they are coming to mediation to try to figure out a way to shield their children, help their children, help support their children get them through this process with as little scarring, you know, as possible, as little, as few wounds as possible. And, um, and they're absolutely on the same page about that. And then we don't need an expert in that area because there's not really conflict. I think that extends to finances as well. I do a lot of financial settlements, divorce mediators that I'm really good at dividing by two. And that's, that's a lot of my, financial expertise um that you know there's more to it than that but right that gets you a significant bar <laughs> my joke yeah. is that divorce is one of the few areas where it's a disadvantage to have more money because you might find yourself sucked into the litigation process because you can afford it and people who have less money are much less likely to get pulled in that direction <laughs> There's something very grounding about dividing zero by two. You kind of know how that's going to go. Well, that's your expertise, dividing by two. So That's right. <laughs> I stand by that. <laughs> and um, so how did you find your way to being mediator? I, so when I joined my group of collaborative professionals and I got trained and I started working on cases, um, what came to me first was being an attorney consultant uh, for mediated cases. So I, I met the mediators. They had more cases. They were smaller. Those were more accessible to me. 
as a newer collaborative professional. And I, I found I really liked that work and I really appreciated the work of the mediator in coordinating the case. And um, so I, I had that introduction into mediation. Uh, I definitely preferred being a consultant for mediated cases versus being a consultant on settlement conferences, which I did as a litigator. So I, I definitely liked that style of mediation. And I, I found it was also consistent with my personality. Um, my my informal nickname for my practice is Ask a Hawaiian. Because <laughs> there's, there's just a, that's just how I was raised, that um, there's just a focus on the whole. And it was, um, this was one of the reasons that litigation just did not work for me. I could always imagine the other side. And um, so litigating was really painful, having to speak to only one side. And that just carried through. So when I was doing my work as a collaborative professional, it felt really natural to think about what was happening on the other side. I watched the mediator do it in real time. I thought, oh, that looks really good. And um, fortunately, I had a collaborative coach uh, who was on a lot of my cases, and he and I were both thinking at the same time, wouldn't it be nice to work together? So he ended up bringing me in as a mediator on his cases where he had clients who were headed toward divorce. And I was um, kind of like a consultant, like a, a mediation slash mediator slash consultant on his case where I could come into the room where he was doing his therapy work and talk about how to create a divorce. And uh, so I worked with him extensively for about three years. I probably did a couple hundred cases with him. And that's really where I cut my teeth as a mediator. Um, and thank goodness I had that support because a lot of it was, you know, bring Joanna into the room and then he would remove Joanna's foot from Joanna's mouth as I, and I figured out, how do I do this work? And uh, yeah, I got some real-time feedback like, oh, that didn't work. Uh, but it was a very supportive environment and I was able to recover from all those missteps. And I, you know, I try new missteps now. I try not to repeat the same old ones, always refining new missteps. Uh, but you know, but it, it, one thing I find about this work is that the clients will tell us when we make a mistake. I mean, when I, I, um, you know, loop what they're saying and, and I don't get it right. And I say, did I get that right? And they go, no. You don't understand this aspect of it. And I go, oh, oh, thank you. Okay, so then there's this that I missed. Okay, yeah, now you got it. Um, when I first started this work, I naively thought I would come in and tell them what to do. And they would say, oh, thank you, Rachel. And, uh, you know, I very quickly learned that people want to make their own decisions. Yeah, I still have not found the couple that wants me to just hand their divorce to them. I keep trying. And they're like, nope, that's not it. Okay. Um, well, it sounds like you found something that really resonated. And, you know, I feel that way about this work as well. And you're originally from Hawaii? I'm Hawaiian. I grew up in Connecticut. Oh. My, my daughter is with some friends in Hawaii right now. So I like that, you know, that uh, 
characterization that you you know thinking of the whole because I guess I feel that way um the litigation system really like it's ritualized war and you you basically are trying to destroy your adversary and I just don't think that works with families I mean especially when there are children you're always going to be connected through your your child through your children you're always going to be that child's two parents um, you know, for the rest of their lives and for the rest of your life, you're going to be that parent. And, um, and you know, y- your children will not thank you for destroying their other parent. No, one thing that I think about is, um, so when I started, I was litigating, I was doing family law. I was also doing estate planning and probate. And so I, I had a front row seat in how, um dysfunction in the elder generation would just get transferred down to the kids and so we would see probate disputes where the parents hadn't dealt with something and so i i can very credibly tell my clients the work that you're doing is for you it's also for your kids there's a a legacy piece to how parents separate and how parents divorce and it's a it's a difficult developmental struggle to end a a marriage to separate lives um, in a way that maintains the family values the family um, wish that really deep wish for children to be okay yeah um even also though with couples who don't have children they're always going to be part of each other's history they're always going to have spent these years together, you know, they'll always have had that experience that they at some point loved each other enough to, you know, stand up and make a a public commitment to each other. And then it didn't work out the way they hoped, but they're always going to be part of each other's history. And, you know, for them as well, they don't have to keep the kids in mind, but they have to keep themselves in mind. And then sometimes they are children of of divorce who experienced, you know, being torn apart by their two parents. And um, I don't know if we can help them end their marriages, their relationships with dignity. I mean, that's my goal for all my clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about that. I So I'm guessing we're, we're about the same age. Uh, we're probably working with clients who are about the same age. Um, and I, I think we're seeing a generational shift. So I, I do get a lot of clients who come in and say, I wanted, I want to mediate because of how my parents fought in their divorce. I do not want that for me. I don't want it for my kids. Right. And yeah, a legacy aspect before, way before the, the death. Right. Yeah. And and so I, I think we do see a shift in how people think about divorce and about separation, even within the timeline of my own career. Um, most people, you know, when I started my practice, whenever that was 20 years ago, it was hard for me to find the kind of mediation that I was reading about. I think it's very easy to find the kind of that kind of mediation now. Plenty of people who know about mediation and come to me specifically for mediation. Whereas when I started, I tended to be the one telling people about mediation and saying it was an option. 
Yeah, same. I mean, when I started my practice, I was the only full-time mediator in Brooklyn. <laughs> that is no longer true. <laughs> There's probably 10 or 15 of us now, so it's it's grown a lot. Yeah, I think there is a shift in the generations in their awareness of it. We actually lost a lot of mediators locally uh, because they retired in the pandemic. Oh. I don't know if you saw the same thing. No, not so much here. Oh, okay. All right. I'll send my overflow your way. Right. Right. Um, and in in your area, do people do you usually have joint uh, meetings with the the two you know, the two partners? That's the most common situation for me. So uh, I'm not bound to it ideolo ideologically, but I do find that if it's tolerable for the clients, it's more efficient for me. Yeah. Right. Right. And it just, frankly, it just puts less pressure on me to have to remember every little thing. Because mm -hmm. of course I only meet with people an average of five times. So mm -hmm. it's a very compact right. process. Mind. Yep. Same. And they always know their situation better than I do. So um, I guess another thing about the mediation versus the court system um, is that it, it has always surprised me how when you when you have part you know separating partners come in and you talk to them and ask them kind of you know open ended questions what do you want to talk about or what what do you see as the things that we will need to talk about at some point in our process in order to resolve everything um, and have a final, you know, full settlement agreement that, that, that resolves all the issues between you and, and how often there are things they want to talk about that wouldn't be discussed in court. Um, you know, they're, they're just like things that have come up, like they, they want to sit, they want to talk about what summer camp they're, kids should attend or school, um, you know, which I mean, the judge, there's no law it, it, on uh, whether they should, you know, go to soccer camp or general camp <laughs> or whether they should join that intensive um, ballet or swim program um, or not. That's really parents own visions for their, their children and their own values. And the court's they don't have the time, they don't have the expertise, they don't have the interest in discussing those things. But in mediation, we can offer them a process that's really tailored to their own needs. One thing that often comes up is that the court, the court automatically assumes that these parents hate each other. And yeah. that it is the court's job to protect the children from the parents. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like we both work in mediation where people select themselves to enter the process. And it's just a foundational notion for me that these are parents who want the best for their kids. They might view things differently. They might not agree, but neither one of them wants the kids to suffer. And I can rely on that base level of trust. And so the things that I focus on when we're talking about parenting um, are so different from what the court needs to know. You know, our parenting plans are structured around 
is either parent unable to parent or need to be limited in their interactions with the kids? Are they going to come to the court or not when they need to pick a school, et cetera? Um, and very little of what we call a parenting plan has much to do with the children's developmental needs. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that in mediation, you can discuss the children's developmental needs. Or, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's only so much of it that I'm going to put in the public record as part of a parenting plan, but it's it's definitely part of how do they create a culture, uh, a new family culture with the parents in separate households? What are they going to do when they need to coordinate? How are they going to manage those decisions? I don't, I'm not assuming as the court has to, that every time they have a conversation, it's going to devolve into a fight. Right, right. Yeah, and and there are some families who have that situation, but they're not really probably not the majority of families. Well, I think that goes back to what we were talking about at, at the start, that litigation is there for a reason. One of the reasons I see parents, that I see couples in my mediation room is because divorce is not optional. There is a default process that will happen um, after all hope has been exhausted, but there is a a requirement for people to be able to get out of marriages. So I I don't like litigation. I think I've covered that pretty thoroughly, but I, I do appreciate that it's part of the overall landscape that includes mediation. Yeah. Um, and um, in in uh, Seattle, do you prepare uh, the settlement agreement or the separation agreement, and also do the court filing for your your um, clients, or what's the process in your area? So I'm a little bit of an outlier on that. Locally, we have a very well-meaning uh, volunteer committee with our state bar uh, with no mediators on it, no family, certainly no family mediators on it. And they decided probably 12 years ago that attorneys who are mediators should not be preparing court documents. And they came up with this massive, um, it's kind of a, to my eye, kind of a medieval set of arguments for why that should be. And it's, um, if you ever need help going to sleep, <laughs> you can look up the advisory opinion on mediation and preparation of documents. Um, so we've we've got a lot of mediators who say, well, there's this advisory opinion from the bar that says we should not be preparing agreements. I'm like, well, I don't think it's actually that cut and dried. So I'm very comfortable preparing them. I often do have attorneys who are consulting on my cases. I always want my clients to feel confident in their agreements, that they say what they think they say, that they haven't missed any way to make the agreement more efficient or more balanced, but I don't require it. Um, You know, when you divide zero by two, it's still zero. You don't need an attorney to tell you that, but I just did in case. So I'm very comfortable preparing the documents. I draw the line at um, entering the agreements for clients. So the oddity with our local opinion is 
is that it says, if you're the mediator, you can have your client sign off so that you only represent one of the clients before the court in getting their documents filed. I think, well, that makes about zero sense to me. I'm not going to put into a court filing that I represent one of my mediation clients. So I've toyed with the idea of writing into the document that I represent both, but I haven't actually done it. So that's a very long answer to a very simple question. Well, we have the same um, tension and complexity here as well. And um, New Jersey, which is, you know, a very close neighboring state in to New York, to the New York City area, um, the mediators are not allowed to draft agreements. They just pr um, produce a summary of the terms agreed to in a document they call an, an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, and then find another attorney um, to draft. Um, I mean, I see, my in my experience, there's a really big difference between an agreement that's drafted by an attorney for one of the parties versus an agreement drafted from a neutral perspective, such as I have as a mediator. In New York, mediators are permitted to draft agreements and, and also prepare and file court papers. And I do what it is advised in that long tome of the, you know, it sounds like of the, the memorandum um, in, in Washington. Um, in that I do then, I kind of have a bifurcated process. So first I'm working with them as a mediator, and then I become the neutral drafting attorney. And then I have them sign a waiver to say, okay, um, Rachel's going to be listed as the attorney for the plaintiff in the court papers, but we're just doing that for a limited representation. Um, I'm actually still working for, you know, Amy and Alan and or or Amy and Andrea, <laughs> whatever. Um, you know, I'm still working really for both of you because to me, the court papers are really just ministerial. A paralegal could fill them out. You know, they're just forms and all the work that was needed to be done is in the uh, agreement that we worked on together in mediation and the court papers just reflect the terms of the um, agreement. And then I prepare and file papers, you know, on behalf of one person on the papers, but in reality, I'm doing it for both of them. And they you send me your form. I, I, I like that. I think this might be the piece that I've been missing. Okay. Yeah. I'll send that to you right. And when we finish the podcast, thank you. <laughs> Um, and you know, not wood so far, I, I guess two or three times I've had a judge who actually read the whole agreement and said, wait a second, you're listed as the mediator here in the agreement on page, you know, 35, but in the court papers, you're listed as the attorney for the plaintiff. And then I, I have been able to just submit my paperwork and said, no, we know what we're doing. And you know, that there's informed consent and waiver of any conflict. And, um, and the judges said, oh, okay. As long mm -hmm. as everybody knows what you're doing. Yeah. But, you know, I find it interesting what you, your observation that the court process, um, there's an assumption that the parents are enemies and they're out to destroy each other. And that the best thing for the children would be to keep the parents as separated as possible to avoid conflict. Because as we know, um, you know, studies have shown that it's conflict, active conflict between the parents that causes the most stress 
um, and and scarring for the children. And we're trying to keep the kids in mind. Um, and, uh, um, you know, so it's interesting that the for the cases that do end up before a judge, the judge may see his or her role as trying to um, not have the parents encounter each other during the typical week in, in the schedule, you know, have the, the transitions happen at school. One parent drops off, the other parent picks up. So the parents don't have to see each other. Um, but, you know, I work with many families who I've seen together on Saturday mornings on the soccer field or, you know, with their kids together in the Halloween parade <laughs> in the neighborhood. And, you know, I just love that when I see former clients together, you know, with their kids. I think that's such a gift if the parents are able to be together with their child and 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 focused on the child and in allowing the child to enjoy having both parents there and and uh yeah and, and able to do it yeah i think the courts in an impossible bind because all of the court procedures were designed around resolving property disputes and um you know that we there's the whole criminal procedure and our courts locally didn't come up with a more modern set of family laws until the 1970s. Mm. And um, so we've got this really antiquated system. If we think about how much the field of medicine has evolved in the last 300 or 400 years and how much the legal system has involved, evolved in that same time period, there's just no, I mean, it's just night and day, right? Between the two systems. And so then we're looking to the court to come up with parenting plans when the legal system is just not the same societal development that we've seen in fields. Yeah. So we have to have litigation. It has to be available for the cases that need it. But yeah, most of the time, our clients are very clear that it's good for the kids if they can get along and if the kids can have memories around Halloween or year-end celebrations or whatever it is that really um, are consistent with what people hope for when those babies are born. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Joanna, about our practice area where it's so... Um... I can tell it's satisfying to you as, as it is to me when we're able to help um, a couple navigate the, you know, find the stepping stones through from their, their sadness and, and, um, and, you know, disappointment that things turned out the way they did, but, you know, helping them to, to find the best way to get through this to the other side and, and hopefully uh, find more peace and happiness and contentment in their future uh, lives and, and, you know, help their kids to get through to the other side as well. Um, My pleasure. Have me back. This was really fun. I like yeah, talking to you. This is fun. I, I would love to have you back and we can, we can talk about uh, cases, you know, things that we've seen people do well and things that we've seen people not do so well. So, um, you know, that would be a good topic as well. Um, that would be fun. What, what are a few takeaways that you'd like our, our audience to re remember if, there, if you have any? 
Oh, good question. So I, I really, <clears throat> I really like this idea of legacy. So if our clients um, can have that hope of working with professionals who will be able to align with them on going through the divorce process in a way that is respectful and consistent with um, you know their own values and who can help them get through the tricky bits so that they can get to that future where they can um, preserve what was precious about the relationship, you know, as, as a significant life experience, if they've got kids, that they can have support in reaching that future where they can have um, a really nourishing family life for the kids over, over the lifespan. Right, even if they're living in two households, mm-hmm. that they can have a united love for the children, that that still is there. And yeah. then uh, what was the phrase that you had about ordinary hero- heroism? Ordinary heroism. I think that that is um, evidence of an ordinary heroism. So it is such, you know, I, I mentioned toward the start, the idea that separating is a really significant adult developmental task. And um, it is so tempting for people to think, well, if I work with an attorney who's going to fight for me in court, then I'll get the judge to agree with me. I'll get the settlement I want. I will do the parenting in a way that is so much better than my spouse, because look at them. They're a slob. The relationship falling apart is definitely their fault. And we all have, I think, those impulses at the start of a of a separation and at the start of a divorce. So it is heroic to say, well, even though I feel like that sometimes at other times, I think my spouse actually tried their hardest, as did I. And my kids actually need both parents, and they need both parents to do their very best to maintain a loving supportive set of households, just as we tried to in one household. And uh, that requires parents to be really grown up at a time when they're under tremendous stress. That is such a hard thing to do. So when I see parents coming into my office and they say, we broke up a year ago and we've been doing things as best we can for a year. I'm like, wow, you have made it down a very long road and you've kept it together enough to end up in mediation. That's amazing. Yeah. Or they tell me we decided to break up two months ago and we're immediately in mediation. Like, wow, that's a lot of um, figuring out to do in a short time. And you've come up with this together. Wow. That's amazing. And that's the kind of credit we just can't offer in court. Mm. Even if people start the court process with the best of intentions, the pressures um, are so intense and the support is so minimal that um, it's just extra super duper hard to maintain that holistic, thoughtful mindset in litigation. Yeah. And the court process, I think, is like throwing oil on the fire. You know, it it just it pits people against each other, and 
and makes them, you know, cements them in there, holding on to their anger and instead of like trying to find a way to look forward to the future. But I just, uh, I, I love that phrase, the ordinary heroism. Yeah. So we have to, we always, I always t tell my clients they should pat themselves on the back, you know, job well done that they came to mediation. Absolutely. Um, and I'll pat you on the back. I think I'll you're an awesome change. mediator. Oh, thank you. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Joanna. And uh, yes, let's try to plan a part two. Love that well, Okay. Idea. I'm right. into it. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to Keep the Kids in Mind. I'm Rachel Green, and this is Joanna Roth. We're signing off. Mm -hmm.